Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Evan Lazar here, Patriots insider and host of the Patriots Beat podcast here on the CLNS Media Network. As always, our content is powered by our exclusive wagering partners, betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your welcome deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Edition of the Patriots Beat podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network and on Patriots Press Pass. I'm Evan Lazar. Joined, as always, by Alex Barr. Today, Throwback Thursday edition of the show here in the offseason. We're going to do Patriots legend and 2022 Hall of Fame inductee Richard Seymour. That's the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Last week, we did Vince Wilfork, who's the Patriots Hall of Fame nominee. Hopefully, he'll be in Canton someday, too, and we can talk about that when that day comes. But today, we're going to break down a Pro Football Hall of Famer here in a few minutes in Richard Seymour. But before we get to Seymour, I want to discuss some of the Patriots news that's trickled out over the last couple of days. Obviously not a ton going on in the Patriots world or the NFL world. Well, (laughs) in some respects, the NFL world's quiet in other respects, not so much uh, there in Washington, DC. Yeah. More ways than one, but in terms of the Patriots, a pretty quiet couple of uh, days here. Now we did get a few things though, that I want to discuss. Number one, thing on my list and i know alex's number one thing on his list is different (laughs) from my list and we're gonna get the bolt uh the number one thing on my list though is that the patriots have at least put pen to paper haven't officially put it through the nfl and the nfl transaction wire but they have put pen to paper with first round pick cole strange and second round pick taekwon thornton instagramming out a picture of him signing some piece of paper that obviously looks like an NFL contract. So sounds like the Patriots top two draft picks, Cole Strange, Tyquan Thornton, pen to paper. Bailey Zappi remains the one Patriots draft pick unsigned. Now this is a formality in today's NFL with the rookie wage scale. There's no holdouts. There's never any real arguments or negotiations going on for rookies. So no one's surprised that these two guys get under contract. The one, if you want to have a takeaway from it, Alex, is the cap ramifications, right? The Patriots eventually are going to have to move some money around. There's a multiple multitude of ways that they could do so to free up the money to sign the rest of their draft picks. But I'm going to present a couple to you, Alex, and I want to know which ones you would prefer the Patriots to do and in which order. So I think the most realistic ones are contract restructures or converting base salary into signing bonus. The two most obvious candidates for that are Matthew Judon and Jalen Mills. Uh, Judon, I think it's because 
you figure he's going to be worth it throughout the rest of the contract. And that doesn't really seem like a big problem to escalate his cap hits in future years. Jalen Mills really safe on the roster right now. Probably not probably is their best corner on the team right now. So he's not going anywhere. So they could do a salary conversion with those two. They could extend your boy, Jake Bailey and save some money in the immediate future, lower that $3.98 million cap hit that he has right now as the highest paid punter in the NFL by uh, extending him beyond this season. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. The last domino that they could drop, and this won't happen now, uh, this certainly will be maybe in a month from now, let's say, is trading somebody like Isaiah Wynn or Nelson Aguilar to clear the cap space that they're going to need to operate throughout the rest of the season. So those are not immediate fixes. Trading those two is not going to happen until the end of training camp. So the first two are more immediate fixes. Which one do you seek happening? Which one would you prefer happening? They'll probably just do the restructure. I I would extend Jake Bailey at this point. He's a top five player in the league at his position. He's a player that's important to this team. He's a young player that you can have probably on a team-friendly contract if you approach it correctly. I just think that one makes all the sense in the world. Uh, They'll probably honestly end up doing more than one, right? But I, yeah, I see them going, uh, I, I, I see them going with the restructure, but I would, I would go with Bailey. Yeah, so Bailey, it's an interesting one because last season, would you agree, Alex, a little bit of a down year for him compared to yeah, the Yeah, he was season, hurt. Right? Yeah. He was hurt, so that was part of it. He looked really good in the spring. Yeah. They have a better grasp on that than we do, but when he's healthy, he's a top three punter in the league. So That's I would where I was him. going with it. Yeah, where I was going with it is where what we saw out there at minicamp, especially his leg looked as strong as it did in 2020, right? I mean, just absolutely booming punts. We had uh, Jake Julian. They had Jake Julian in there uh, for a tryout UDFA signing for the Patriots. Some people, because of the contract, we talked about punters, uh, Matt Ariza, uh, Jordan Stout, right? Like we were talking about all these guys during the draft. The Patriots don't go in that direction. Bailey comes back in minicamp and is absolutely killing the football again. So my guess is, is that that one is coming. If they didn't see a long-term future with Jake Bailey, uh, you would have thought that they would have dipped into one of the best punter classes that they've had in quite some time uh, with those two guys in Stout and Ariza being two of the best punting prospects probably since Bailey, right? I mean, it's been right. three or four years since there have been punter prospects that have been that good. So I'm with you on Jake Bailey. I'd love to see the team assign uh, him to an extension, mainly to lower that cap number. He is the highest paid punter in the NFL due to an escalator in his contract when he made the All-Pro team and made his contract increase. And that's just sort of how the game works uh, with All-Pro nominations and Pro Bowls. It kicks in an ex- escalator through the CBA that makes him uh, the highest paid punter because punters, quite frankly, don't get paid much. So being at $4 million makes you the highest paid punter in the NFL The one thing I'll say about the restructures, I do find it interesting that they've been so reluctant to, at least at this point, borrow money from the future. Basically, any chance that they can to avoid that. They traded Shaq Mason to avoid it, right? They could have restructured all these guys already and kept Shaq Mason, but in order to keep the flexibility... Uh, for future seasons, they decided to trade Jack Mason and free up the money that way. When you look at that, look, this could all go by the wayside because they could convert Judon's salary, Mills's salary, and start borrowing more from the future. But really the only move that they made that hurts the future cap 
is Devin McCourty's void years. Uh, other than that, they're, they're really all the moves that they've made this offseason in terms of the cap have really kept that flexibility uh, for beyond this season. Do you think that that is a tea leaf that the Patriots might be loading up for another big run in free agency in 2023? I think it's possible. We we talked about this when, last offseason when they signed all those big deals and the way they structured them that the cap's going to spike here you know, next year. And then again, the year after that, there's going to be two massive spikes. So you could pay a lot of money and then still potentially have a lot of money on the table, you know, in a year, this was the one year that was going to be kind of a little tight and it's tight around the league. It's not just that they're an extreme example, but it's not just the Patriots that are up against it. Yeah. I, I think that is what they're doing. I think that they want to, you know, take advantage of Mac Jones on the rookie contract and you'd like to see him do it this year. I think maybe it wasn't realistic next year. It's going to go, I think up and up and up. So uh, I, I, I'd buy that. Sure. Yeah. You look at some of the comps in terms of building around a rookie quarterback or a young quarterback and when exactly you hit the let's go button, like, right. Like when do you exactly uh, buy all in on the quarterback and, and really surround him with a Super Bowl roster. I think the best example, unfortunately is, is in Western New York with Buffalo. Right. And the Stefan Diggs well, trade, yeah came in year three of Josh Allen, right? right? Year one, he was okay. Year two started to show flashes of what he's become now. Year three, they trade for Stefan Diggs and he's an MVP candidate, right? And that's sort of the developmental track that I think a lot of teams are trying to get their quarterbacks on. Justin Herbert and the Chargers, the Chargers went out and spent this offseason to surround Herbert. They signed J.C. Jackson on the defensive side of the ball to make their defense better, and they really are starting to ro- load up for years three, four, and potentially five of Justin Herbert's rookie contract, and that, I think, is a similar place that the Patriots are going to be in. They're not going to quite have, at least projection-wise, the cap space that they had last offseason, but in terms of next offseason, they'll be one of the more uh, – cap friendly teams right like they'll have somewhere over 50 million dollars in cap space next offseason clearly enough money to go out there and make at least one splash I think the better offseason comp is probably the offseason where they sign Stefan Gilmore maybe not so much what they did last year but they go out and they get one big ticket free agent with that cap space yeah and and I would say maybe on the offense side of although we have talked about this in the past in depending on extensions, this could change and all that next year's cornerback class is supposed to be loaded, like yeah. loaded, loaded. So, you, you know, you bring up Gilmore, that's probably not a bad name to, to, to bring up in that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be fun next off season. I mean, not to skip ahead to, from this season, but we, the off season's obviously got its own fun type of fun to it as well. Maybe arguably in my mind, a little bit more fun than the actual season itself. Sometimes <laughs> Me, so, but you still won't watch draft prospects. I'm texting you about players today. You still won't start watching. That's true. Yeah. I, I just can't get my head into the 2023 draft until, until January. It's just a, it's a mental block for me. You know, it's just not something that I can really wrap my head around. All right, let's go to your, your number one news item, Alex, as your hat, shows right there uh we were not on the air since the patriots announced that pat patriot in the red throwback jerseys which is perfect for our throwback thursday show to be talking about the red throwback right. jerseys are coming back next 
fall for the Patriots. Still no exact date announced or game announced for when exactly they will wear them. My guess is, I mean, well, they'll be on the road against Minnesota on Thanksgiving, so I don't know if that's going to be a factor, but they've worn them on the road before, especially on Thanksgiving, because that's like the one game that stands out in my head is that Thanksgiving game in Detroit, I think it was, where they wore yeah, Well, they did uh, that twice. Yeah. They did it in 02 and then in, I think, 09, whatever. I'm yeah. sure my brain is remembering 09 more than 02. That, uh, I feel like, was that long-haired Brady? I, I feel like it was long-haired in Brady. 09? Red it was, yeah, or nine or yeah. ten or whatever. The reason that I remember the O2 game, it's the first time in my life watching football I saw running back split out outside the numbers. They put Ant- they motioned Antoine Smith all the way to the outside. I thought it was the wildest thing I'd ever seen. Yeah, the so time. the the Pat Patriot logo, the helmets look absolute fire. I love the the stripes down the middle of the helmet. I I don't remember the old ones having that those stripes down the middle. So maybe. the ones they wore in 09 were a little different. There's like five or six different iterations of the white helmet and there's different color face masks and everything. Yeah. The ones they wore in 09 were, that was the, remember the 50th anniversary of the AFL. So right. those were based on the uniform almost entirely. They actually used a different logo. And in, in 1960, they had a different logo. There's just like a hat. You Google tricorn logo. Anyway, those are based on the 19, the ones from 1960, the ones they wore yeah. in, in 2009, the ones they wore in 10, 11 and 12. And the ones they're bringing back now, is more like the mid eighties to early nineties Got it. is, is what that one's based on. The shoulder stripes are a little different. There's the third stripe on the, you're, you're thinking of just the two red stripes on the helmet. These ones have a blue in between the two right. red. Yeah. Um, so I that's the like the eighties. The blue yeah. stripe looks great. I was kind of hoping they'd bring them back with the red face mask. I like the white too. Um, but yeah, no, it's cool. It's fun. Yeah, that's why I normally try to be like, you know, objective journalist on the show. I, I wear my high school hat or just the generic logos, but I had to break this out today. I didn't do the jersey. I don't have my Steve Grogan jersey with me, unfortunately. Um, if you're talking about like what games are they going to wear them, right? I look at yeah. the last two, two of the last three times in, in 10 and 12, they warm against the Jets. So I feel like there's a possibility there. In the opener against the Ravens, like getting it going early, I could see that. I could see one of the holiday games, you know, late in the season. Yeah. I think week six, uh, whatever it is against the, the Bengals. Yeah, week 16, Christmas Eve day against Cincinnati, red like Santa, like that would be awesome. Thursday night against the Bills feels like a possibility. The two I don't, so there's one I don't think they'll wear it, and it's going to bum people out, but it's just the reality. There's one that I don't want them to wear that I think they might. I don't think it's going to happen on Thanksgiving because the Vikings would, you can't wear red and have the other team wear purple. It's too close. And the Vikings haven't worn white at home since 1964. First time for everything. Like, could they go back and wear white? And, and maybe then, yeah, if the Vikings are going to wear white for that game. Then you absolutely wear red. Throwback Thanksgiving. It's a timeless classic. I it, I think that one would be tough, though. The other one, I, I hope they don't. Don't wear them against Detroit or against Chicago. Sorry. Don't. I, I know, like, it's prime time. It's Monday yeah. night. All of that. Like a blue blood team. I know it. But it's just. Those uniforms against the, there's two teams you I wouldn't wear them against the Bears and the Packers and they're on the road in Green Bay this year but you just it's Super Bowl twenty it's what was for years and years and years the worst loss in franchise history it was at the time the most lopsided loss in NFL history you don't wear the throwbacks against the Chicago Bears you just don't do it you don't want to exercise some demons no. No, that's one where like if they if they had brought back the nineties, yeah, then I'd be like, that's the game. Yeah, that's the game you do it. I just I don't think you can do it.
I want to take a second to shout out our partners at Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's Stanley Cup Finals, Major League Baseball scores, all the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL features. You want to place a bet on Mac Jones winning MVP? It's there. You want to place a bet on Bill Belichick, Coach of the Year? It's there. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website or use your mobile device today to sign up to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to get the bonus and to get into the action. Bet Online, where the game starts. Although I will say this for the people who don't like the red uniforms because, oh, they've never succeeded in them since they became throwbacks. Patriots are seven and one wearing red seven and oh at home and the losses in Miami, which go figure. So, so the two games that I remember the most with the throwbacks are clearly the Lions game on Thanksgiving with long hair Brady. That one stands out. They also wore them in that snow game against Tennessee, if I remember correctly. Hang on. I, I can so there's two Jets games, ten and twelve. There I, I can I figured this out yesterday. I did this without even realizing. I know them all off the top of my head. There's the Jets games ten and twelve. Yeah. There's uh, eleven. Thank it was eleven Thanksgiving against Detroit because Devin McCourty played in that game. Yep. They wore them in 09 in the so that's Jets Jets. There's the Vikings Randy Moss coming back on on Halloween. Remember that game with Brett yes. Favre. Yeah. Um, so two Jets Vikings. The Lions on Thanksgiving, they wore them in 09 in the opener against Buffalo. Tom Brady, your Tom terrific game. There's the Tennessee snow game, 59 nothing. Yeah. And then in 02 against Detroit on Thanksgiving. Those are the seven times they've worn red since since they retired that uniform. Off the there you uniform. go. So Evan, what's it like having the, a life? What's it like? We got, you know, we got all the out? uniform facts right here from Alex Barth. But I the 59 to nothing Tennessee game is I still think because Tennessee wasn't the complete joke that season. Like they well, weren't a good team, but they weren't awful. So I think hands down, that might be the best Pats blowout of the dynasty. Like in terms, I understand that there might've been bigger games, bigger moments. Right. But in terms of just pure absolute dominance, cause they, they could have easily scored more than 59. Right. In that game. they, they took the foot off the gas in the second half because it was like 49 to nothing at halftime or something like that. And, and they really let them off the hook. Although, they could have gone for a, an 80 burger in that game if they wanted to. Here's the thing you need to remember about that Titans team. And that game's actually very significant in Titans history too. They lost that game. The Titans did. They were 0-6 at that point. And then what happened was they had their bye week. Kerry Collins, I think it was, it was Kerry Collins, right? Kerry Collins started yeah. that game. Yeah, Kerry Collins, they go into the bye. They come out of the bye after that loss with Vince Young under center, rookie Vince Young making his first start, and they finish 8-2. and two. And I think they came up just short of the playoffs. They did. They came up just short of the yeah. playoffs at 8-8. Eight and eight. But they had lost six in a row. They went to the break, and they came out of the bye with Vince Young, a completely different team. Yeah, so that's the legacy of that game. But that's one of my all-time favorite page, regular season Patriots games. Yeah, so it was 49, 44. 40- Five to nothing. I was wrong with 49, yeah. 45 to nothing at halftime here. Here's the box score. Lawrence Maroney, 45 yard touchdown right out of the gate. Seven, nothing. Goskowski field goal. Randy Moss, 40 yards. Randy Moss, 28 yards. 
Kevin Falk, 38 yards. Wes Welker, 30 yards. Wes Welker, five yards. Randy Moss, nine yards again. And then Brian Hoyer ran for a touchdown late in the third quarter to make it 59 to nothing. But and it then was, did the Randy Moss touchdown up. celebration. Yeah, it was 45 zip at halftime. So if the Patriots actually keep the foot on the gas in the second half, and obviously they didn't have to, right? They, but if they right. wanted to, we're talking about, what, 75 points in an NFL game? Brady, Brady could have thrown. He threw five touchdowns in a quarter in that game. Yeah. Unbelievable. So he, he, at one point he was on pace for 20 touchdowns. Yeah. An unbelievably dominant performance. And I'll never forget the, the Patriots were just so much more well-equipped and prepared for the snow that it looked like the Titans were moving in quicksand, right? Like it looked like they were moving in slow motion compared to the Patriots because the Patriots were just so prepared to play in the snow. And it, it was, it was blasts. That game was never close. Well, it wasn't supposed to snow. It came out of nowhere. It was October. Yeah. It, you talk about preparation, right? It's not just about practicing the snow. It's probably like a footwear thing too, right? Cleats and all that kind of stuff is important. And the Patriots are clearly ready for that. We're not doing Lawrence Maroney versus Sony Michelle today. That's we're not doing that. I like the question for an off season so podcast, but I, I looked back on real quick. I looked back on this a couple months ago. Yeah. Lawrence Maroney was not, we put him in the same category as like, Aaron Dobson, I guess now Nikhil Harry, you know, Chad Jackson, Razai Dowling. He wasn't quite that bad. Yeah. He had two good years and he got hurt. Yeah. He was good I, on the 07 Patriots, right? Yeah. I, he was their primary running back in 07. And I want to say he had a thousand yard season, didn't he? Or close to it. Uh, yeah. I think it was like nine, like 90 something. Yeah, I'm going to pull it up. up. He like, he had two decent years, got hurt, and then just never recovered. Yeah, like, if so you want to argue. It was 745 and 06. And then in 09 or 07, excuse me, the 07 Patriots, he had 835 yards, 12 touchdowns in, thir- in 13 games. Yeah, 12 touchdowns in his first two seasons on the ground, almost, you know, 18, 1900 yards from scrimmage in his first two seasons. Then he had a pretty good year in 09, too. But the Patriots was hurt in 08, comes back in 09, has uh, 757, nine touchdowns, uh, another, uh, you know, couple, almost 100 yards on the ground or uh, through the air, excuse me. So no, not, not a, him and Sony are not a, a horrible con because Sony wasn't, yeah. Sony wasn't terrible either. Right. I mean, Sony was, was not what people were expecting him to be or what he was hyped up to be necessarily, uh, but he had some productive years with the Patriots as well. He wasn't and, uh, bad. He just wasn't yeah. good. Right. Like yeah. that's what you want from a first round pick before we move on from the, the throwback uniforms, Evan, I know you're not yeah. a Jersey guy and I know you hate fun. And, and, no, all this. This, and by this the way, is, this is a little fun. People in the chat, people in the chat can play along. Who's who like, I don't want to say who's going to be the highest selling red Jersey. Cause it's going to be Mac. Cause he's the quarterback. But like, right. If you were going to buy one of the red jerseys, who are, who are you getting all things are considered? You, are you asking me? Yeah. Like if you were a Jersey guy, if you liked fun, I would say probably Matthew Judon at this point, I think he looked great in the Jersey. I think a number nine Judon red throwback Jersey looks pretty sick. I, I guess I could be talked into some of the younger guys too, like a Duggar yeah. or a Barmore or something like that. Uh, if you're a Ramondre guy, I think that one would be fun too. But I, I like Judon. He he looked the best. You know, I I, I was the picture I shared a, a, about the red jersey. He, right. he looked fire in those things. So I I, I love that. I thought Kendrick Bourne. And oddly enough, yeah. I I asked a couple people this. There, there's a bunch of people who want the Matthew Slater red jersey. Yeah, and I kind of love sure. that. The pic the picture of Matthew Slater in the red because he 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 wore the red before, but the, you can't find pictures of it because he didn't play a ton back then. 
that's football right there. Matthew Slater in the red. So I'd go, I'd go Bourne or Slater, maybe Jake Bailey, but anyway. But look, Slater, you don't know how much longer he's going to play for. This could be it. We're on that clock now with Matthew Slater. Where he, stayed, could, he stayed just so he could wear the red jerseys one more time. It, it, it could be any year now, right? If Matthew Slater yeah. hangs it up at the end of the season, nobody would be surprised. So get your Matthew Slater jersey now. I, I don't I don't mind that either. I think that, that would be cool too. Yeah. Red throwback Matthew Slater. I'm good with that. All right. Talking about throwback Thursday, let's let's turn back the clock and I'm going to preface these video clips before we pull them up. Uh, this is the best that I could do for early 2000s TV broadcasts. So I, I'm just going to tell you now that some of the video quality on them is, is not HD 4K. Okay, so let's let's go easy on the fact that some of these are a little bit blurry. But I went back today, I watched some of Richard Seymour's uh, games, you know, Super Bowl 36, refresh my memory of that game. Super Bowl 39 against the Eagles. He didn't play the first two games of the playoffs due to an injury. He was inactive in the first two rounds. Comes into the Super Bowl, has a sack, a couple tackles for loss. That He was dominant in that game as well. He's really, really good against the Rams, obviously, too. And uh, you look at the Rams Super Bowl, you look at the Eagles Super Bowl, not to take away anything from Tom Brady and Deion Branch because they had great games individually to win Super Bowl MVP. It's kind of like Edelman in Super Bowl 53, the right. defense really dominated those games. And I would have loved to have seen uh, somebody on the defense side of the ball during this Patriots run uh, win one of these Super Bowl MVPs. And Richard Seymour against the Rams or against the Eagles, I know that the Ty Law probably maybe gets it against the Rams if a defensive player gets it. Rodney Harrison had a fantastic game against the Eagles if that was the direction they were going to go in. But an absolute force in both of those big time game so it wasn't just that he was good in the regular season it wasn't just that uh, he played his role and was fundamentally sound and did all the dirty work in the trenches and and still made plays big time big game player like a sneaky good big game player you look at the box score for Richard Seymour in Super Bowls in AFC championship games that he participated in Alex a really really good big game player Richard Seymour was and a guy who kind of redefined the position. I know we said that last week with Vince Wilfork, how many position redefining yeah. defensive tackles can there be? There's not a lot, but they keep making yeah. their way to New England. So I, you know, he's a guy that at that time, a guy with his skill set, you would expect to be an edge and he, he, or a defensive end. He played some defensive end, certainly. Yeah. He, he was a very versatile guy. He could move around, but his ability to, you know, at that time, defensive tackles were just kind of space eaters. You didn't have these yeah. guys that made plays. I like to say, I, I, you know, I don't want to say he's not necessarily better than Aaron Donald, but for a guy like Aaron Donald to be the player he is, Richard Seymour, I would point to Richard Seymour and John Randall, who was a Hall of Famer who played for the Minnesota Vikings. Like yeah. those two guys are the reason Aaron Donald could be the player he is today. I would say Richard Seymour is, you know, part of the reason Christian Barmore fits in the role he is. That role was kind of started late nineties. I don't want to say it's totally Seymour because Randall was a great player too, but you know, late nineties, John Randall then into the early two thousands with Seymour. And that's the other cool thing about this. We couldn't do it as much last week with Vince. Cause he's so unique. Like I would say who is a better player, probably Seymour who is more unique. It's Vince. And you don't debate that it clearly yeah. was, but the cool thing we can do about this week is, and, and when I came up with this segment to do this throwback Thursday, and we'll do this next week too, I don't know if we want to spoil who we're doing next week, no, but I want to keep that one a secret. Okay. Maybe we can let people guess on Twitter. Yeah. Cause I think there's some clues that would make it tough. Uh, 
I think that we can relate some of what we're going to watch today with Seymour and what we're going to talk about today with Seymour to the current Patriots team and, and things they can do specifically when it comes to Christian Barmore, not to put too much pressure on the kid, but yeah. Um, yeah. Seymour was, Seymour was a, a, a different kind of player at the time. He was, he was a unicorn at the time. He was a trendsetter. Yeah. Not to pick on people that were covering the team back then, because certainly you can pull up my receipts about my draft takes about the Patriots or any team in recent years and probably find some, some bad ones, but the overarching theme when the Patriots drafted Richard Seymour was that they drafted him way too early and they drafted the wrong guy. And uh, there was, a, there was other guys that people wanted at that spot. And it was a high draft pick. It was, was it David Terrell. David was Terrell. Yes. Yeah. And that was the first draft pick, right. Of the Belichick era, right. The 2000 draft first round. Yes. I believe yes. so. First Belichick draft pick. He comes in. And he drafts a guy that everybody and Mel Kuyper and everyone else thinks that he reached on 10, 15 picks or whatever. A classic bill, right? Because we're, nothing has right. changed. Yeah, we're, we're, we fast forward 22 years and it's still exactly the same. And we, we don't learn anything. Yeah. Meanwhile, Richard Seymour makes the Hall of Fame. And coming up on August 6th, he's going to be inducted into Canton and uh, have the ceremony with the speech and the whole nine yards in Canton on August 6th. So... I, I think that the one thing that really stood out to him, just trying to get into his game a little bit now, you mentioned the tweener aspect of his game. He's not really a, a true prototype defensive tackle, but he's also not really a true prototype defensive end. And that's where a lot of people had reservations with him going into the draft. It's like, what is he, right? He's a tweener. You know, how is he going to be used? Is he a better 4-3 end? Is he a better 3-4 end? Is he a better nose tackle? And Bill Belichick mentioned this when he made the Hall of Fame. I don't know if it was the Patriots Hall of Fame or the Pro Football Hall of Fame with, with Belichick talking about this, that when he came into the Patriots at Georgia, he was a nose tackle, like a Vince Wilfork true uh, zero nose tackle. And then the Patriots made him a more versatile player. Now, a lot of the clips that we're going to pull up are him playing inside, basically from guard to guard. Uh, there weren't a ton of instances that I saw uh, of him making true plays like as like a outside the shade of tackle, like a, a seven or a nine uh, going all the way out there. But he certainly could play zero through five, which is a ton of versatility to do that. And uh, he was an absolute game wrecker. And it was a really difficult assignment because he had length. He had really, really strong hands and nuanced hand usage. He had quick snap recognition and get off. He had the whole package and we can get into the, the yep. plays now. And real quick, the Pat signed Zappies. So just, well, you have a minute there. Pat signed Zappies. So they're done signing draft picks. There you go. Oh, there you go. All right. So all the draft picks are, are in for the Patriots. So this is uh Richard Seymour's sack against uh, the Rams in Super Bowl 36 and, and Kurt Warner, the greatest show on turf. So he's right here. I hope that people can see this a little bit better than last time with the red cursor instead of the black cursor. So again, you look at him basically head up over the right guard, but he played this three technique role a lot for the Patriots. And the one thing that I thought was interesting about this play is that they actually have four down defensive linemen with their hand in the dirt. I believe this is Frable here, and that's Willie uh, on the backside end over here. And then you have Richard Seymour in the three technique, and he's just going to club the guard. The guard's going to try to uh, beat him to the spot and then throw a punch. And watch the, the upper body power here again, uh, right over the right guard to just use that club move and just push the guard right out of the way. I mean, he puts him right on the ground. 
right? And then he goes and gets Kurt Warner. Uh, we can show it again here and just watch as the, the guard steps to try to make first contact. He actually gets on Richard Seymour probably before Seymour can get his hands on him. But it's the counter, right? That counter club is just absolutely right. vicious. And, and just knocks them right out of the way. And uh, we can watch it. I think there's an end zone angle. Back then, the end zone angles weren't great. But uh, there is a little bit of an end zone angle here. Uh, very far too in tight. But you can see those hands from the guard try to get inside of On the right of side there. Yeah, on the right side of the screen, 93. And then you can see that outside hand just club him to the ground. And, and he just tosses an offensive lineman like a rag doll to the ground. And this was back when Alex – Offensive linemen were not Cole Strange, right? Like these guys, are like <laughs> three, three thirty, three forty. Like these are big boys on the offensive line back then. It wasn't so much about athleticism as it was uh, about just having pure power, especially at the guard position. But those hands were vicious. I, th those were two cinder blocks, and he hunts the quarterback here. Almost gets Kurt Warren to fumble, uh, but brings him down for the sack. Well, th this is where you get to the mismatch thing, right? Interior linemen at this point, they're just trying to block. Ted Washington, Sam yeah. Adams, right? Those kind of guys. So, you know, you're on the inside there. You're not expecting to have to block so like a combo move like that from the inside from a guy like Richard Seymour. So, yeah, offensive linemen had changed, interior offensive linemen specifically had to change their entire game plan when they're going against him. And you just see that. It's not, I mean, the, the technique is great and all of that, but whoever that is, 62, I, I knew all the players last week from the Ravens. He's totally unprepared. He's totally outmatched. That, that's two completely different things that are good. You know, those two players are on reading two completely different books on that, on that play. Yeah. Show it one more time. Like look at one, two, look at how he's trying to set. He's just trying to drive him to the outside. He's yeah. not expecting watch right about, and it kind of cut around it. He's just trying to wall off Seymour. And that's it. The way he's playing Seymour here, he is, he's not respecting Seymour at all to cut that thing back to the inside or for Seymour to change direction at all. So when Seymour sets even a little bit back towards the, I think it's towards the outside here, he's toast. He's totally off balance. The offensive lineman's totally off balance. Yeah, I just love the hand power in the usage. And you can see his eyes, like see how his eyes are on yeah. the quarterback there and on the mesh point to make sure that this doesn't end up being a handoff. Because if he gives this ball to Marshall Falk, then Seymour is just going to park in the gap and two-gap it, right? So he's looking right. into the backfield to make sure. And I think this is one of those things – also, he gets the sack here, but we talk about gap integrity and maintaining the line of scrimmage so much with the Patriots. This isn't a true pin your ears back rep here by Richard Seymour, right? This is like right. a little bit of hesitation there just to confirm with his eyes that this is not going to Marshall Falk and this is going to be a throw. And he just comes in and still gets the sack. But that that club move, that outside left hand of Richard Seymour to just toss a, a 330 pound guard like he's a rag doll to the side was just a terrific, terrific play. And that was a big sack in the game in the third quarter. Rams are starting to come back a little bit and uh, Richard Seymour uh, ended the drive there. So this is a big, big play that gets unnoticed because of what happens next, right? The tuck rule and all that kind of stuff kind of uh, puts this play a little bit out of the purview, but I remember reading something uh, by Scott Pioli. I think it was when Richard Seymour was inducted into the hall of fame. Pioli talked about this play as 
basically encapsulating what Richard Seymour was and how he consistently did the dirty work. So he's going to be right here in the inside uh, over the center, basically in the a gap on third and one. So you're talking about an obvious run situation. Like you don't pass on third and one in 2002, right? Like this is a run play through and through. And Richard Seymour is your nose tackle. that really shows you not only the versatility, but how much they trusted him to be the in the middle of everything. And just that power at his size. I mean, he's not Vince Wilford like we did last week. He's, he's not 340 pounds, right? You know, he's a 305, 310 pound end and they have him over the nose here and he's just going to shoot the gap. I think I saw in some football life or something about this game, maybe it was the tuck rule documentary on ESPN that there was a miscommunication uh, between the the Raiders' offensive line in this play, and they, they end up not blocking Seymour. Isn't that the fourth down? Because they go for it after this, right? I think it was this play, but maybe you, you could be right. Uh, th- here comes the fullback, though. This is what basically makes this play. Uh, Seymour is going to come through right here over the nose, and he's going to come through basically unblocked, and he's just going to blow up the fullback and basically stop this entire play from happening. If you look in the box score, he doesn't actually get credited for the tackle. Right. The the tackle goes to somebody else, but he's the one that absolutely wrecks the entire play. And and we can roll it now and watch him just take out the fullback here. And that's what stops the play. Right. I mean, he again, he doesn't get credit for this. His teammates that make the stop behind him. I think that's uh, I can't even tell. It's it's, uh, I'll tell you. And you're you're right. This is the play where um, it's Teddy Bruschi comes in. This is the play where they get the wrong call. up front. Yeah, so it looks like the offensive line maybe blows an assignment here, and it allows Seymour to just shoot right through. And then he just goes low on the fullback and takes out the lead blocker and makes sure that this run doesn't go anywhere. These are the types of plays, though, that, okay, he doesn't get credited for the tackle for loss. It's not it's not in the box score that it's Richard Seymour that made this play. you got to watch the tape to know about these little plays, right? And granted, Scapioli gave me a shortcut and and did it for me. But it just in general, when you talk about Hall of Fame and Hall of Fame voters, I think one of the best parts about Richard Seymour getting into the Hall of Fame is that it's clear that the voters bought the tape thing, right? Like you, you can't just chalk Richard Seymour's career up to his total sacks, or his total tackles for loss because he made so many of these little plays that don't show up in the box score. And that's why he's in Canton. And I'm glad the voters finally recognized that and were able to put that in context. Do you have this from the end zone angle? This one looks really cool from the end zone angle. I don't think so. I think I only pulled it. I can pull that up because I know exactly where it is in the Patriots Super Bowl DVD. (laughs) Of course you do. There's a great shot of uh, Teddy Bruschi flipping head over heels. Yeah. So it's, it's just a really – it's just one of those plays, again, it's just doing the dirty work, and no one's going to know that this play was made if you just read the box score the day after the game. But if you watch the you game – You look at it because Ty Law got credited with an assisted tackle. You say Ty Law came all the way in on fourth down and made that play. Wow. Yeah, no. Richard Seymour made the play, and the rest of the guys were luckily there to, to make the stop around him. But this was just – one of those patented Seymour plays. Let, let, we'll keep going if you find. Wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. I found it. I found it. Right, one you... second. Uh, I want to make sure I share the right thing here. You see that? I do. Here, I think I need to do this. 
There we go. All right. So yeah. So he's right. Is this he's him? Left, right. Right here. Yeah. On the left side of center in front of Brian Cox. Yeah. So yeah. See, he gets right in there. You see the setup. There's a, this guy's blocking out. This guy takes Brian Cox, takes out the fullback. And now look at this. You got Brian Cox right here. You got Ted Johnson yeah. right here. You got Ty Law right here. Nobody to block him in this hole. I think Ted Bruski's probably at the bottom of that thing. Give it one more. Yeah, you can see probably see Teddy come in on that other because Teddy used to stand up at times like in in line, right? Like kind of like how they used right. to use Dante Hightower because he played a defensive end in edge in college. So he was pretty comfortable with doing that. I think so he's like right over here on the on the left. Yeah. So in some of yeah. these situations, that's what they had him doing. But yeah. So. There's Alex, of course, knows exactly where th that is in the Super Bowl DVD, as you mentioned. I, yeah. How many times do you have you watched the uh, the, the thirty six Super Bowl DVD? Yet? Oh, it's got to be triple digits. <laughs> I, that was like when I was a kid, like every long car trip, and by long car trip, I mean like over an hour. But we had we had the the you know the, we bought the DVD player you could put in the car that plugged into the into yeah. the uh, the phone charger, right? I yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. Totally. That, that was the only thing I wanted to watch. All right, so now we're going to Super Bowl 39. And again, I remembered Rodney Harrison being dominant in this game. Obviously, everybody remembers Dion Branch, uh, Mike Vrabel catching a touchdown pass. Like, those are the, the big things. I, I watched this game back on the just from the defense copy. Alex, Richard Seymour was a, a absolute force in this game. Uh, he was a big problem in this game for Philadelphia. Uh, so he's right here. Got a nice little zoomed-in angle here. And he's just going to go one-on-one -on -one with the guard and watch the flexibility, the rip move, to get underneath the pads and just rip through. And you mentioned this earlier on the sack by Seymour uh, against Kurt Warner in Super Bowl 36. The mismatch against the guard is just so abundantly clear. Like, guards had such a handful uh, with blocking him. And you see that again when he gets to about here. He kind of knifes his way into the gap. And you see him get underneath and rip that arm through underneath. And then you can see him kind of get underneath and bend the corner here and get the McNabb. Another key third down, third quarter type sack for Richard Seymour. And uh, actually the, the whole Patriots defense kind of converges on him eventually. But this is a Seymour sack. But again, you kind of see that flexibility, the size, but also the power and that ability to just go right through the punch of the guard uh, as a 310 pound defensive end uh, that, that that's a special play too from Richard Seymour yeah if you can stop it like right when he gets to the 40 yard line like right when he breaks the block right there look where or like go like another second look look where his head is he's yeah. looking for he's looking for McNabb to cock the ball back yeah he gets around the corner there's a million things happening here and in that one second what's his first instinct go for the ball that's oh, yeah. textbook Patriot, old school Patriots, Bill Belichick, all of it. That's what separates the great players from Hall of Famers. And honestly, you, you talk about the whole defense getting there. And again, you see, he even tries to go for the ball there. McNabb kind of makes a nice play to tuck it back in real quick. Go back to the beginning real quick, because I'm not sure we're going to get to him on this series. And I, I would like to maybe next year. But you mentioned the whole defense gets there. Let's watch. Yeah. Let's watch Willie McGinnis real quick. Yeah, here, top of the screen. Since we have him, because he makes a nice play. Top, top of the screen. Yeah. Let's and, and they they'll all tell you that they were all good because of each other. So let's give let's give Willie Willie a little shine here. And you're not you're you're not gonna block Willie McGinnis with a tight end. Yeah, they no. really try to block. They deserve this sack. Yeah, trying to block Willie McGinnis with a tight end. Get out of here with that. Just bullies them all. Watch all the way back. It, it, it's it's right off balance on that first pop. Yeah, it, it's max protect. 
And they still get right. like three guys into the quarterback. Well, how right? many guys did they bring here? They they well, this is like kind of like a an old Patriots amoeba front, right? Because that's right. Rabel here. This is you know turning back the clock on our throwback Thursday. You see this on Sundays now, right? The Patriots will right. put all these guys up at the line. Who's seven coming, guys who's, right there? Who's dropping? Yeah, this is on. This I think is on this like is, third and long, right? Yeah, I think this is Frable right here. He ends up dropping off the yeah. line of scrimmage into coverage. Brewski ends up coming, but then watch when once they're engaged. You see how Brewski here, once he gets engaged by this blocker, now he's trying to get his hands up in the passing lane, right? He knows he's right. not going to get there. But basically what this front does is they it's a little it's a five man rush, right? So it's it's not a, a true blitz, but it's 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 sort of a, a blitz type of package, or I guess you could call it a six man rush. But the thing the key is is it gets the one on ones, right? Like right. they get one on one, Seymour versus the guard. One-on-one, Willie versus tight end. Those are just winnable matchups. And you have an in- interior matchup there as well uh, where there's another one-on-one. So the Patriots – Jarvis just, Green. Look, Jarvis Green gets in there. Yeah, I think it's Jarvis He's Green. playing the nose here, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they rush five, rush six, whatever you want to call it, in this like amoeba-style look. And they just get one-on-ones across the board. And basically every single guy wins that gets the one-on-one. And, and that's, right. that was just this defense at its best. Uh, the pass rush, just anybody that got a one-on-one on this rep wins. And, and that's something else. But Seymour is the one that gets there first, obviously. Somebody asked who the tight end is. I'll pull that up real quick. I, I don't think it's LJ uh, LJ Smith. He was – I want to say he was 81. That's Oh, no, it was LJ Smith, 82. That's 82, yeah. right? Yeah, LJ yeah. Smith. Okay, it was yeah, LJ Smith. Like yeah, he, LJ gets, Smith. he gets absolutely hosed there. Yeah, but you also look at Willie at the top of the screen. We talk about, you know – Gap integrity, pocket integrity. Yeah. Watch how he doesn't get caught past the quarterback, right? Nope. Like he doesn't. Right there. Yeah. He doesn't. Puts he, his foot in the ground and starts cutting back upfield. Yeah. He knows at this point that he's too far, right? Like he knows that he's too far back the quarterback. And I'm sure you can hear Bill Belichick in his, in his mind, like yelling at him in film study, like why you pass the quarterback, right? So right. he puts his foot in the ground and gets immediately and climbs back up the pocket because if he doesn't stay there, and kind of set this edge, then maybe McNabb can escape Seymour, right, by just running right. to his right. But Willie does a great job, and I, I think that's – is that Roman Pfeiffer uh, taking on the fullback there? Looks like 95. No, Roman Pfeiffer's on the bottom of the – oh, no, 59's Colvin, 95 is Pfeiffer, you're right. Yeah. Colvin's on the bottom there. Colvin kind of yeah. – he does that brewski thing where he kind of pops out and looks to, yeah. to take away right. passing lane. Right. So both of these guys really, uh, Pfeiffer and Willie – on the arm side, do a great job of closing, keeping the pocket closed and not allowing Donovan McNabb to run away from it. But the one-on-one again, Seymour there at the bottom of the screen against the guard with the rip move, just goes right through him, gets the sack, another third down play. So this is a first down run play now. And we talked about some of the power. We talked about some of the recognition here. He's just going to shoot the gap again. And we talk about the get off, the quickness off the snap and the ability to time the snap. So he's here on the back side of this play or front side, excuse me, uh, right here over uh, the tackle. They're going to run like a zone style concept. Uh, we talked about outside zone a lot in the last couple of weeks, stepping out to the right. And they're going to try to get the tackle to reach Richard Seymour, who's playing end in the inside here, right over the tackle. And he's going to try to reach him and turn him out. 
and it's just not going to happen. I mean, you just can't you can't try to re- reach Richard Seymour, and he just goes right through the gap and makes the play. I think this one we might have the end zone angle. Oh no, we don't. Oh. Here you see it again. So the, you see the tackle at left tackle seventy two there. He's trying to re- reach Richard Seymour on this zone style block, and there's just no chance that he's going to get to him with that get off with that speed. Uh, you see him just uh, his ability right there to shoot the gap. And then you also talk about, I think that's Willie again on uh, LJ Smith. Look at the edge set. That That's yeah. the key to this play as well, because if Willie doesn't set the edge, then Westbrook might be able to bounce this, right? Like he might be right. able to bounce this to the corner, but because he got this really good edge set here from Willie McGinnis, this is like textbook. This is probably on the teach tape for the Patriots when they talk to Josh Uche and, uh, you know, Matt Judon and Anthony Jennings about how they want them to set the edge. This is how you set the edge, right? That's how right. it's done. And Richard Seymour gets the penetration on the inside. McGinnis sets the edge, makes sure that the back can't bounce it. And then Seymour gets the tackle for loss. Like that's just such textbook defense. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. And even watch Colvin on the backside. Look how look how disciplined he is. He doesn't over-pursue this here. If Westbrook's going to cut back the other way, Roosevelt yeah. Colvin's going to get him for a two-yard loss. Just yeah. excellent. Poor, poor yeah. LJ Smith in that game. Yeah, LJ Smith got whooped. But I, this would, is- I would say, just real quick, the other thing too, you talked about the get-off. That's something we talked about last week with Vince, and that's part of the reason I, you know, yeah. I think it's fun to do a series like this. You think about some of the other guys who have had success here. That's clearly, you know, every NFL team obviously values get-off, but it's important. But that's something it seems like throughout history, or under Belichick at least, the Patriots value incredibly highly. When they yeah. scout defensive linemen, how quick do you get off the ball? You look at the guys they brought in recently. Christian Barmore, excellent get off. Ronnie Perkins, that's the one thing. When you go and you watch his tape at Oklahoma, how fast he gets off the ball and into his yeah. into his initial move. That, that to me, when Perkins was coming out, that was his best trait. Uh, I thought Jennings was a good get off guy at Alabama. Um, you know, you go back a couple other years. Dietrich Wise was a guy who really had success okay. with that at Arkansas. Yeah. Right. This is so when we go through and we do the draft next year, this is something where, you know, let's let's remember this. Who are some yeah. of the best get off guys in the class? Who are the guys that just when the ball is snapped are already half a foot into the backfield? Because that seemed, you know, the Patriots, it seems to be something that they value exceptionally more highly than most. There's no team that's looking at this and saying, we don't care that he has a bad get off. But, you know, some teams might value well once he gets off, what's his initial move? Some teams might care more about the initial move. Some teams might care more about just the yeah. athleticism. Some teams might care more about versatility or this or that. You, every team prioritizes things differently. It really feels like that get off is something that the Patriots have very high on that list when they look at guys who are going to play hand down on defense. Yeah, that's a great point. And again, I, I just, this is one of those plays where I, I just can't stress enough how great of an edge set this is from Willie McGinnis. Like, this is. Yeah exactly how it's done and it allows Seymour's penetration to matter right because if you blow that edge they got the blocks here right like the slot is getting blocked here by the slot receiver like they got some bodies man on man here you've got a tackle kind of leaking out there yet in the second level yeah so if they if they get if they allow this to bounce around the corner then this this is going to hit right this is going to be a good play for the Eagles and this is well he doesn't let it happen this is something they struggled with at times last year was exactly yeah. what you just described. Barmore would get that initial penetration. It's blocked at the second level and the running back would be able to bounce it to the outside. They're kind of missing what Willie McGinnis gives them on this play. And that's, you know, when we talk about 
Ronnie Perkins, when we talk about Josh Uche, when we talk about Anthony Jennings as we get into camp, this is exactly the play we're looking for them to make. This is exactly yeah. what, you know, this team is looking for. The, the Richard Seymour in that situation, I'm not saying Christian Barmore is Richard Seymour, but they have yeah. the guy who can make that play. Now it's who can contain the back and, and make, like you said, make that penetration matter. All right, so here's the last one that I pulled. The lone career touchdown by Richard Seymour. Not exactly the sexiest play by him, but he does beat his guy. Teddy Bruschi just gets to the quarterback before he does, and he picks it up and scoops and scores. I definitely remember watching this play live. Like, this one definitely stood out to me. I had to throw it in there. Uh, He's right over here basically now playing, like, that five technique straight up over the tackle defensive end. Bruski is over here. He's going to get through as well. He's going to shoot this gap and blitz up the middle and get through. But you're going to see, I can't remember if it's the tackle or, yeah, you see the tackle there try to step and kind of turn Seymour at this point and watch the arm over move. Just boop, right. right by him, right, right over him and just makes the guy eat dirt, right? Like he just falls right. on his, flat on his face. Now, like I said, Bruski comes in on block. Yeah. What's going on there? Where where the hell is that guard going? Yeah, clearly a miscommunication of some sort or cross signals about where exactly the guard is supposed to be going on this play. And you can tell, I think that's your boy Drew Bledsoe, Alex. It is. I figured that's why you put it in here. Yeah. Getting he no help. Again, where is the guard going? Is, does Drew, he think Drew he's eligible? Drew doesn't know what's going on. Like, he's looking no, around. Drew knows like, what's going on. No, it's a counter. The guard thinks it's a, it's a run the other way. Or it's a play. It's a it's a, uh, yeah, a counter. It, it, it's a it's a play action counter. The guard yeah. thinks it's the other way. I it kind of looks to me. I don't know. I'm not saying that Drew did anything wrong. I'm just saying it kind of looks to me like this whole play was broken, and Drew was kind of like, "Well, when one of your what, offensive what's linemen, going on here, guys? <laughs> when one of your offensive linemen just takes off for the sideline at the snap yeah. of the ball, the play is going to be pretty broken, regardless of who you have. This is eleven on ten right here. Look at him. Yeah. He just leaves. He doesn't chip. He doesn't try to help on. I think that's um, Ty Ward. Picks it up, and there we go. To the house. Yeah. Touchdown, your boy. Away from Rodney. Fumbling. We got Travis Henry get up the field. He he could play back in the day a little bit. A fumble six by Alex's favorite Patriot of all time. Yeah, and I hate that guard. Here's here's why this stands out to Seymour, though. Run that, like, keep running this. He's got a long way to go. He's got what, 60, 70 yards? 60 yards, yeah. Normally, you'd think that in that in that span, right? Remember DK Metcalf last year on Buda Baker? Yeah. They got, I mean, he's got wide receivers that are giving up on catching him. Yeah. I'm not saying he's Absolutely. faster than those wide receivers, but. Yeah. I just love when the, the ta- each tackle tries to just get him right away and come out and punch him. <laughs> yeah. He just goes face first. I mean, this is not. I miss these. I miss these Buffalo Bills. I really do. Oh, Look God. at where. What, what is the offensive there? line? Look at the. Wait, hang on. Go back. Go back real quick. Go back to the. Uh, yeah, like right there. Play it. I'll tell you when to stop it. Play it. Stop it. Stop it right there. Look at seventy three and whoever this other lineman is in the middle, just standing next to each other with four Patriots behind them. If you keep running it, they kind of look at each other. Right, right there. And if you keep playing it, they kind of look at each other. Like, what the hell just happened? They've got four Patriots behind them. They have no idea. No clue. I miss those. Those are my Buffalo Bills forever. Those are your Buffalo Bills because they're quarterback by Drew Bledsoe. So they're yeah, really a Pro your Bowl Buffalo quarterback. Uh, I don't know. What he, I don't know. If, I don't remember if this was 03 or 04, but he was a Pro Bowl. Yeah, in years. I, I think it was 03, if I remember correctly. Look at Rodney. Oh, uh, yeah. Rodney. Rodney with the touchdown. Ty Law's down there. This is 
this was just a lot of fun to do because these fronts, it wasn't just the athletes. It wasn't just the playmakers. They were so damn sound. Like they just didn't make mistakes. Like they were just, this is just also textbook. Like you see like the, the, the party at the quarterback, the edge setting, the backside containing, like the, the everybody's on the ball, right? Like he's got three guys around the football. I mean, this was just such textbook football. You can put this stuff up and it, it, it carries, right? Like it's still, it, it, it holds up. Is the this word is I'm just looking fund- for. timeless fundamentals. And I'll give you another yeah. one here. And this is something that's probably on the teach tape. Watch Richard Seymour pick up the ball here. He slows down and he makes sure he has it. And yeah. this is, this is, I know a coaching point from them fall on the ball. Don't, don't miss recovering the fumble to try to return it. He, yeah. he, you know, he really slows down, makes sure he picks it up. Even if he doesn't house it. So what you get the ball back. The most important right. thing is the ball. They'll coach. Some guys just fall on it. And I think he knows he has Brewski right there that if he kind of misses it, he has somebody else. But he is focused on he, – he's not thinking about the touchdown until the ball is in his hands. The only yeah. thing in his mind when he gets back to the quarterback there and, and whoever it is, it's probably Brewski, right, yelling ball, ball, ball. Yeah. The only thing in his mind is picking that football up. He's not yeah. concerned with the return at all until he has the ball secured. And how about Teddy Brewski sacks it, gets the ball out, and watch him take out 68 – He's going to set a nice block here. That's an illegal block now, I think, right? It is. uh, Blocking back towards the goal line? It probably is. I don't know, because he kind of gets him with his side, right? Like, he doesn't – his whole body, the momentum isn't completely going back towards the quarterback. But back then, that wasn't a penalty. It just – Oh, no, back then. The awareness and the effort to to throw this block is just something else. I mean, you can just – Yeah. That's. It's just – it's all so – you know, perfect. we make the it's we make the jokes about you know the little things. Like I got I got you know people were mad at me on Tuesday when I was talking about what well, receiver will they? Oh, There's let's Bill. go, Bill! Let's There's go, Bill. Bill! He's pumped. Jarvis Green <laughs> with them. Um, you know, somebody was saying something to me the other day, like, "Oh, why? You know, why do you care so much about the comp picks?" And sometimes we get into little stuff like that. Every single little thing. They're they're five, six, seven steps ahead of the other team. On every single play, that yeah. Bruski block, right? Um, you talk about kind of, you know, uh, on the the earlier one where Bruski and Colvin know they're not going to get to the quarterback, but they've taken their lineman out of the play, so they fade back to try to eat up passing lanes. That's just such high-level stuff. And, yeah. like, to us, I guess some of us, we think it's, you know, if you're covering the Patriots your whole life and it's the only team you follow closely, you think that's just how the game is played. Buffalo has a guard running the wrong way, just completely leaving the play. Like it's, it's two separate things. When we talk about the early 2000s Patriots and, and, you know, even that 14 team, it's just the details, man. The details are done. at such a high, no team I think ever hit the details of the game. And when you're that good, you can focus on things like, well, how are we going to block when the defensive tackle picks up a fumble? Right. Yeah. When you don't need a, when, when you're just a fundamentally sound team in general, and you have a bunch of smart football players, you have more time to kind of think outside the box like that and really work on the edges of your game. And that's what those teams were. I just love that it's 20 years later and this stuff still holds up. Like it's like yeah. an old movie that's still good. It's like Goodfellas, yeah. right? Like it's yeah. still good, even all this time later. And I think that in a world where 
in a football community in a world where we talk so much about innovation and RPOs and outside zone systems and like all this new age crap that's going on and uh, tight fronts and quarter zones. And like, it, it just, it feels like everybody's trying to change, right? Like everybody's right. like, you know, I know you're, you always make fun of me, like running backs don't matter. Right. Like in that whole, whole thing, like it just always feels constantly like everybody's trying to, change the game of football and then you throw on early 2000s Patriots defense and if you just play defense at like that now and granted it's very difficult to play at that kind of level but just in terms of the fundamentals and the techniques and the awareness and the effort that's gonna hold up man like you put that that 2001 through 2004 defense on the field this season and they're the best defense in the NFL again, right? Like it's that, it it just is timeless. And it's a breath of fresh air because I think even I I get susceptible to this as well. You you get your lost in the weeds of like trying to be this new thing, right. And and trying to reinvent the wheel. But at the end of the day, it all holds up. Like football is still football and setting the edge is still setting the edge. And the three technique beating the guard one-on-one is still the three technique beating the guard one-on-one. And those defenses just, that was just so fun to watch. Like it's just such textbook across the board, everybody doing their job for the team and making plays. And that's what it's all about. Yeah, no, that was, I'm, I'm glad we did in, in the way we did that too. Cause I, I don't know if we're gonna be able to get to Willie or whatever, but yeah. um, we, I, I think we covered Willie pretty well there. Next week, though, we're doing we, we got to do offense. We're due for yeah, offense. We're going to offense. I'm, I'm really excited for next week. I'm really excited. So I cut some of the clips today. You, you so you kind of opened up Seymour, right? Talking about a guy who played his best games in the biggest moments. This guy had arguably the two, I would say the two best games of his career in the two biggest games of his career. I think yeah. that you can make a really strong argument for that. How much more of a hint do we want to give? There's one we could give that narrows it down significantly, but also makes it tough to tell. All right. I, let, let's let's I'll hold off on it. We'll, we'll, we'll leave some nuggets on Twitter about who Yeah, we, we have Tuesday's show as well. It's, it's, it's an offensive player who played big in big games. We'll, there we'll you go. That, that really narrows it down for the Patriots, right? right? Like it's a, I'll, I'll tell people, people because I, I, I've seen people ask about, you know, uh, Andre Tippett, Steve Krogan. Yeah. Somebody wants us to do Babe Perilli. We can barely get video for Seymour. Yeah. Like as much as I, the guy I'd really love to do this with is Stanley Morgan. Honestly, yeah. I think one of the most underappreciated players, honestly, that whole 76 team, Russ Francis, I just don't think we're going to be able to do that. Yeah. So I will, it, they're, they're all dynasty, dynasty era players, but yeah, next week, offensive player, big play and big game, big plays and big games. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it took me a couple hours this morning, quite frankly, to find five clips that were right quality enough to use them. On and the show. one for t- the one for tomorrow took, and he played a little later, not a ton later, a little later. Yeah, took me, I don't know, well, because I, I kept watching highlights, so it took me longer than it should have. But yeah, all right, let's wrap it Wes up. Wes Welker's with, a good guess. Wes Welker is a good guess. A big play player that a guy that yeah. played the best in big games. Wes Welker, no, I without I without the hint. Right? Without the hint, Wes Welker is a good guess. Now that I've given those hints, I don't think Wes Welker is as good of a guess. Yeah. All right. Quick Boston Sports Minute before we wrap it up here. Yeah, we had some NBA news break during the show. Oh, what happened? I saw that. I didn't see it. What is it? So, like, the NBA offseason, i got to find it here. The NBA offseason is officially off and running. 
I, I got to find this tweet from uh, from James because I want to read it correctly. Basically, the Nets have official are nearly officially imploded. Oh, great. Uh, I, I can't believe this isn't on my timeline anymore. Where did it go? Um, hang on here. There's the Patriots signing Bailey Zappi. All right, so here's this. I'll read the second half of it first. I look for the first half. Yeah, this is Woj. If Kyrie Irving can't agree to stay with Brooklyn, he has a list of teams he'd like them to consider on sign-in trades, including the Lakers, Clippers, Knicks, Heat, Mavs, and Sixers. None of those teams have the cap space to sign him without the Nets' help. Those aren't those are the teams Irving is interested in, but those teams aren't necessarily interested in him in return. Please, please, for the entertainment factor, put Kyrie Irving in Philadelphia. Oh my goodness. Need it. I did anybody predict that the Nets thing was gonna work? Like, did anybody think that that was no. going to work? Like, on the floor... Oh, wait, real quick. So, hang on. Here's here's the other half of it that's kind of the the, the real, the, the Shams bomb that yeah. I couldn't find. Shams, quote, Kevin Durant is monor- monitoring the Brooklyn Nets situation and will be considering options with his future. This now opens the path right. for Kyrie Irving to process finding new home. So, Durant's not sold on Brooklyn, Kyrie or no. And StatMuse tweeted Kevin Durant in a Celtics jersey and everybody's going nuts. So that's the thing that is the bigger thing in Brooklyn, right? Like screw Kyrie, like whatever Kyrie wants to do is whatever for Brooklyn, Kevin Durant wanting out is legitimate. Now, if I'm a Celtics fan, I'm not parading down Causeway thinking that he's coming to Boston where I would be concerned about him going is taking his talents to South beach to join the Miami heat because a Pat Riley's, a big swinger, right? Like that guy always gets his dude. It seems like, except when the Celtics got Gordon Hayward and he didn't, but that was Brad Stevens this time around. I feel like Jimmy Butler could recruit Kevin Durant. I know there's been some rumors about Kyrie Irving going down there to Miami. I think that's more likely. So maybe it ends up being Kyrie, but it sounds like Miami is going to get one of the two net stars, right? Somebody from Brooklyn is going to be going down to Miami and joining Jimmy Butler in Miami. And, that's a scary team for the Celtics. No, it's not. Not if it's Kyrie. Kyrie yeah. Irving cannot play. Fair Remember enough. Jimmy Butler when he was in Minnesota, like would yell at people and complain that his, his teammates didn't care enough. They weren't practicing yeah. hard enough. That's that's not making it. Well, and I, I love Jimmy Butler. You don't think I mean, that Jimmy Butler can get it out of Kyrie for one no, season? No, no, nobody can. Nobody can. If anybody yeah. could, Jimmy Butler would, you know, in the league. Kevin Durant, uh, Kevin Garnett is the anybody, if anybody. Yeah. But no, that will implode spectacularly. I don't think that team makes it through the year. I would be fine if Kyrie Irving, I, wherever Kyrie Irving goes, is not going to work. Yeah. Send him to, to China. I, I don't care. If I'm Miami, I, I say thanks, but no thanks to Kyrie. And I, I, if I'm any team, I say thanks, but no thanks. I, to I try to go stealth and, and try to pride Durant. I think Durant's the, the obviously the the golden goose there, right? right. He's, he's the prize. So I, 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 I'm Miami and I'm Pat Riley. I swing big and I try to get Durant. But here's the other thing you need to remember. Durant is more or less going to pick where he goes. Yeah. Right. But why not Miami? Why not? No, that's fair. But remember when it was the Warriors, the Celtics were the runner up. Yeah. The, and, and obviously they were the a different team. team that the I would time say... he became available. He's very close with Jason Tatum. Yeah. And you could pro- if if Durant puts his fist on the table and says, "Okay, so let, let me ask you this, okay? Because clearly, yeah. if Durant's coming to Boston, and we're completely making this shit up right now. But if Durant's coming to Boston 
it's to play with Tatum. So you're you're trading Jalen Brown, right? Because you can't keep everybody. So I think it's Rob. So could I they, think could it's I get, Rob. I get theory they could move Rob and Al Horford and try Rob, to Horford, Neesmith, Grant, yeah. whatever kids and picks. Yeah. And then you're you're basically Tatum, Brown, Durant, Smart, and you round it out from there. And however you round it out from there, yeah. that's the best. That's the best Mid- team. Mid level exception players and you know minimum vet salaries from there. Right. Yeah. You round it, you and you don't get your precious true point guard, which by the way, I think they need to. But thank you. Thank you. Smart, Brown, Tatum, Durant, mid-level center. Draft, draft uh, uh coffee Coburn, honestly, to play yeah. with that team. I don't care. That's the best team in the NBA. So I think that's what that's and here's the thing. So people are saying they would want Brown or Tatum for Kevin Durant. This is the the NBAification of it all. If Durant says, I want to go to Boston, like this happened yeah. with Harden last uh, last year, two years ago, whatever it was, when Harden wanted to go to Brooklyn, or sorry, when Harden wanted to go to Philly, no, which way was it? No, Harden wanted to go to Brooklyn, and, yeah. and Houston was going to trade him somewhere else. And he basically said, if you do that, I won't report. I'll hold out. I'll pay the fine. Durant can do that. At that point, the Nets have no leverage. So that's where you can swing you basically just need to get it okayed by the league. That's where you swing Rob and picks and whatever, right? It's the same thing with Bradley Beal. If it's uh, if if Durant says I'll go to Boston or Miami, Miami's getting him, or you have to give up Jalen Brown. Like yeah. that's what it is. But if he says, "I love Jason Tatum's game, I love him as a player, I'm a friend yeah. of his, I want to play with him," and that's the end of the discussion, well then Kevin Durant's going to play for the Celtics, and there's not a ton of bargaining the Nets can do in that. It's the same thing kind of we're talking about with Bradley Beal. That's why I think you can get Bradley Beal for cheap because I think there's a chance that he's a guy who would say he's not just going to demand a trade. He's going to say, I want to play in Boston, period, full stop, end of story. So along with Tatum, Ime Odoka is on that Brooklyn staff, right? Yep. Yep. So you never know if if Durant had any kind of positive relationship with Ime behind the scenes. That that could also be a potential lure for Kevin Durant. I said this after the Celtics were bounced. I know everybody's coming at me about the true point guard thing. I think in a lot of ways, somebody mentioned this in in the 17 million replies. I got to that tweet. Uh, Somebody mentioned that saying true point guard to Celtics fans right now is a little bit like saying establish the run to football fans right now. Right? Like that's like the, that's like the off topic, you know, off off limits topic in, in the NBA world right now. There's no such thing as a as a rondo point guard anymore like those guys don't exist bob Cousy wouldn't exist nowadays like that's the that's like the the thing but with that being said i i really think that people are going to want to come play with this celtics team oh yeah Celtics team is young they're loaded they are two games away from the final uh from winning the championship if you're, maybe it's not Kevin Durant. Like maybe that's too big of a fish. Yeah, right? I think I think Beal's more realistic. Yeah, maybe it's Beal or and, Colin Sexton, or maybe it's just one of the these other you know veteran type of players. Like you know how the 08 team had James Posey and Eddie House right. and like all those guys off the bench that helped out. This Celtics team is going to become a destination to come play with this group because all these veteran players are going to look at it and say. Well, if they had me last year against the Warriors, they win a title. I'm the difference, right? Like, I can get this team over the hump. I really think the Celtics are in that territory. And I just want to put this out there with my take on the true point guard thing. I don't know why Celtics fans are so angrily against trying to make the team better. Like, 
it seems to me like a lot of these people that are replying to me, Alex, j- just want to run it back because they were two wins away from a title. It doesn't work like that in sports. When you just run it back, you almost never get over the hump if you didn't get over the hump the first time. Like, you have to evolve. You have to make your team better. You have to add to your core. You can't just sit back and say, well, we were two wins away from the championship. We're not going to change a thing. We're just going to run it back. Like, that right. That doesn't work in sports. If you look across, like, all the teams that have come up a little short, the next year they always come back with another piece. There's always right. an- another good player. There's always a key a cog that was missing from the year before. The Celtics can't be complacent. They don't have to blow it up. They don't have to trade Marcus Smart or trade Jalen Brown or trade Rob, but they have to continue to add to this core. They can't just bring back the same exact team that they had this year and expect to win the title. Like it doesn't work like that in any sport, really. Right. Yeah, no, I'd agree. Um, Real quick, I get my pick for the draft tonight. If they stay at 52. Uh, Julian Champagny from St. John's, like a combo two through four, six, eight, two fifteen. He's one of those guys that's not great at any one thing, but he's pretty good at everything. Yeah. 35% three point shooter, 43% from the field, two time, first team, all big East, 19.2 points per game last year. Like he feels like Grant or, or Shemi or like, he's that kind of player. And if, if like Grant's, him. you know, they, they might not be able to resign him or he might be a guy they move here. So Julian Champagny, St. John's. That's my that's my pay, that's my uh, Celtics mock draft right there. I like that. All right, got to take uh, in the chat here. Alex asking about the next Bruins head coach. You got to take on this. Uh no. Uh, at underscore Ty Anderson on Twitter ninety eight five thesportshub.com. <laughs> He's written a ton about it. I, I trust him on that more. Yeah, so we can give Ty time. a shout out. That's fair. We'll give Marinovsky a shout out too. Those two guys uh, and. Um, um, of course, now I'm blanking on the name of the third guy. Was Connor there. Ryan. Connor, thank you. Yes, of course. How could I forget? Connor Ryan, Marinovsky, Ty, they have you covered on the Bruins. Should we say it about the Red Sox? Uh, nope, not yet. Not yet. Too, too many cupcakes. No, nope, the season The season starts tomorrow. Against the season Guardians. starts tomorrow, yep. All right, we won't say it yet about the Red Sox, but I'm about to say it. I, 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 I at least think that they're – Evan, like, Evan before you say it, before you say it, before you say yeah. it. For the last month and a half, pretty much all but one of the teams they've played have been under 500. They've taken care of business against bad teams. They really don't have an impressive win on their resume in that span. Do you still want to say it? I understand what you're saying. Like I said on Tuesday. The, you're back in the picture. They're back in the picture. That's what makes me excited, right? They're, they're back, back in the, the picture. picture. Don't You can't say that. You got to add that qualifier. They're back in the picture. They're back in the picture. All right. Well, we'll talk maybe on Tuesday uh, on uh, the flip, flip back the Patriots here. But as we yeah. wrap up the show on Tuesday, we'll do another Q and a, and we'll take your questions about the Patriots here and now, not the throwback Patriots. Although you can come in and ask throwback questions too. And I'm sure we'll oblige just the same, but on Tuesday we'll have a Q and a for you guys next Thursday. We drop some hints. We'll drop some more hints on Tuesday about who we're going to do throwback Thursday on. It's going to be an exciting one, a really fun one, a much easier one to find clips on and, and to really break down, I would say the two interior defensive linemen. <laughs> so this, this one will we'll bite off a little bit more with it and it'll be a little a bit more in-depth and, and more fun, I think. Uh, just to, the type of player and the position that this player played uh, is a little bit more exciting. But with that being said, I won't say it about the Red Sox, but we'll talk about this on Tuesday after the Guardian series. How about that? If, if they that win, sounds good. If they win two out of – it's a three-game series, right, I'm assuming? If they win uh, two out of three 
against the Guardians in Cleveland. Can we say it? No, no, there's still too many division games left. All right. All I right. don't know. Whatever his objective date is, just use that. D- driving a hard bargain. Okay. So we'll be back on Tuesday with the Q&A show, Thursday with the Throwback Thursday segment. And until then, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, everybody, and we'll see you next time.